She was adorable. And she really liked me. I was about 10, and I was at that stage in life where I was obsessed with all things baby. Some of us didn't outgrow that stage. Hannah was probably five, which was a little older than baby, but she was tiny for her age. She had this little lisp that was so cute. And she loved me, and I loved Hannah. And if you knew Hannah at all, you quickly learned that Hannah had some treasures. She was never without these little treasures. I don't know where she found them. I don't know why they became her treasures. It was just this little doll comb and this little mouse figurine and a little wooden heart. Well, one day I was with my family at Hannah's house. We were at a church event and we were all playing and having a good time outside. And Hannah went inside for a little bit and she came back out. And Hannah had a plain paper bag. And there was something about this paper bag. I think maybe she'd taken a Christmas bow and smacked it on there or something. And let me know that it was a gift. And Hannah comes up to me and she said, this is for you. Well, of course, I'm very excited because I love Hannah. And it's going to be great. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then she runs off, which was a little odd. And so I opened the bag and I looked inside. And my heart almost stopped. Because in that bag was a little comb and a little mouse figurine. Hannah's treasures. Obviously, I cannot keep these. Hannah can't even go to bed at night without these. So I quickly go to find Hannah's mom, and I said, you're not going to believe what Hannah just gave me. And she said, actually, Hannah's been planning this for a while. She even talked to me about it. And she wants you to have them. And I said, well, maybe you should put them in a closet somewhere, make sure she can sleep tonight, because, like, she's literally never without these things. And her mom said, no, I explained. If she gives it away, it goes to your house, and she doesn't get it back, and she really wants you to have it. I think you should take them. So I went and found Hannah and gave her a big hug and told her thank you so much. And I promised her that I would treasure her little treasures. And since it's been 30 or more years and I still have them, I guess I've made good on that promise. What would possess someone to give away their most valued treasures? Welcome. I'm so glad you're all here this morning. I'm glad to be here this morning. If you're watching on our live stream, welcome. Say hi to my mom and dad. A few other people I know there. About five weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan got up and preached about another Hannah. And as soon as he said, we're going to be talking about Hannah today, I said, mm, Pastor Jonathan, that's my sermon. Which is kind of funny because no one had asked me to preach and I hadn't volunteered. But <laughs> it was good. It was good. And then Pastor Chris began the last series about the prodigal son. Sons. And I really, really enjoyed it. It takes a lot for me to hear an old story that I've heard hundreds and maybe even thousands of times. 
and to see it in a different way and learn a new perspective. And Pastor Chris, I really appreciate the depth that you put into trying to find those nuggets that we don't get at just a surface reading. And a question that came up in Pastor Chris's series was, can we trust the Father? And at some point throughout that series, I got a text out of the blue that said, we'd like you to preach. And I said, well, I guess that maybe was God saying that you have a sermon, but P. John already took my Hannah sermon, so what am I going to do? But when Pastor Chris asked this question, can we trust the Father, I knew that today is going to be Hannah, part two. So thank you, P. John, for part one. We are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered here together today and from afar to worship you, to hear the message that you have for us, gathered here openly, publicly, and in peace, we pray for those that don't have both or either of those options. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to just fill this place. And if you have a message specific for someone in this room, someone who is listening, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be that translator and send that message through. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel 1, 1 and 2. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah. Remember that name. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And we are thrown right away into a theme that we see throughout the Bible of women who are barren. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mom. The New Testament, we have Elizabeth. Why is this a theme? That's for another day. And here's Hannah, part of the club, but she never wanted to be a member of. And if you've ever been a member of that club, I'm sorry, it is a rough, rough place to be. Hey, P. John covered the dynamic between these two wives. It was not a pleasant home. It was not a pleasant relationship. Verse 5 says, to Hannah, Elkanah would give a double portion when they're at this yearly feast, because he loved Hannah. Love is not a given for marriage at this time in history. It's not. And there are very few stories where it is explicitly stated that there is a love between husband and wife in the Bible stories. Jacob loves Rachel. Isaac fell in love with Rebekah. There's not a whole lot more. But here's Elkanah, and he loves Hannah. Verse 7 and 8. Each time Peninnah tormented Hannah, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? If Hannah and Elkanah lived in 2023, that would be a really bad move right there. You insensitive jerk. 
<laughs> not okay. But Hannah and Elkanah do not live in 2023. Hannah lives at a time when women were more like property. And the only way that a woman gained true value and worth in the eyes of the society around her was if she could bear not just a child, but a son for her husband to carry on the family name and legacy. And Hannah can't do that. And yet, and yet, here we have Elkanah, who looks at Hannah and says, Hannah, I don't even care about that. Society cares about that. But I love you just the way you are. No, son. You are not required to do something for me to gain my love. You have it right here. Whenever we read Bible stories, we should be asking ourselves, where is Jesus in this story? Especially the Old Testament. And it's super easy to see Jesus here. Elkanah is definitely a type of Christ. But Hannah... Hannah can't even feel it. You see, Hannah has become obsessed. And I think it came from a place of love. She is loved. And what do we want to do for those who love us? We want to love them back. And what does society say love looks like? Bearing him a son. And Hannah must. She must fulfill her duty. Is it bad that Hannah wants to have a son? Of course not. This is perfectly fine. This is good. Children are a gift from God. God created this process. This is so okay that Hannah wants to do this. But it has become all that Hannah wants to do. And this desire and lack of fulfillment has left her feeling empty and bitter and barren and betrayed by her own body and by God. Have you ever felt like that? You might flip through your Bible and the words are just words. You pray, but your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You feel empty and you feel dry. I've been there. And it is not, not a place that feels good. You want to feel God's presence. You know that theoretically he's here and loves you. But it just feels dry. Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Verses 12 to 16 describe how Eli sees her. And he assumes that she's drunk. Hannah's absolutely mortified that this could even be a consideration. And she explains, no, 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 no. I am just so discouraged. I'm pouring my heart out to God, praying out of my anguish and my sorrow. Have you been there? So raw with God that if priest Eli were to be looking at you, he would assume that there was some other influence at play here. It is bad. It is messy. 
and it is ugly. I've been there too. And it wasn't praying for a child, no. God, God had gifted me five. And these were the answer to my prayers. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God had placed these children in my life for this time and I was meant to be their mother and I was failing majorly. Disclaimer, all parents fail. This is not that. To say that our home was toxic would be an understatement. It was bad. We'd go through the grades. Sunday Renweb, anyone? And look and see. And it did not matter what I saw. All we talked about was the worst grade. Fs, are you kidding me? What is going on? No Fs, but Ds, what, what's happening here? Why can't you get your act together? In fact, I clearly remember one time looking at one subject and there was one piece of missing work. And out of like a 400 point class, this was like a five point assignment. And I'm raking my child over the coals. What is wrong with you? Why can't you turn your work in? And my child looks at me and says, Mom, I have an A in that class. And I said, I don't care. You need to turn your work in. I value a clean home, and I've taught my children to clean, and they do a pretty good job of it. But they are children. It's not always perfect. But sometimes, as many children do, as most children do, they do want to please their parents. And my kids would sometimes, preemptively, without me asking, clean the house. Amazing, right? And I would come home, and I would notice. The air smelled fresh, things were straightened up, and I would walk in, and I'd look around, and I'd say, wow, you guys cleaned. Now, if we can just straighten those shoes up over there, and there's a couple spots of dirt right there, and that, that, that thing still needs to put away, thanks. It was the kind of atmosphere in our home that would just suck the life out of you. Hopes and dreams, who cares about those? Crush your soul. It was not good. And the worst part was that I knew I was doing this. And I'd see it happening in real time. I'd walk through the door. I'd see the clean house. I'd say, okay, Elizabeth, today's the day that you are going to celebrate the positive. What's wrong with those shoes? And why is there dirt still on the floor? Why did I just say that? What is wrong with me? And I would go upstairs to the spare bedroom, which was the junk room. Does anybody else have one of those? Where all the stuff that you don't know what to do with gets in this. Weave my way around the piles, plop myself on the couch, and I would cry. And I would beg God to help me be the mother that my children needed me to be. Because it was not good. And I was doing damage. And I would recommit 100% sincere. And I'd wake up early in the mornings to have that time with God. 
and I'd read a few dry words. I'd look at the highlights from days gone by when things felt different. And it didn't feel the same. And I'd bounce a few prayers off the ceiling. And I'd commit today is going to be the day that I'm going to be that mom. And I'd go downstairs. And inevitably, there'd be something left laying around or a crumb on the counter. And by the time my children woke up, it was, let's go. Clean that up. Do that. No good mornings. No I love yous. It got to the point where I started to wonder if perhaps my children, and maybe even the whole world, would just be better off without me. Because obviously, I was broken. I was broken. I tried counseling. I didn't work. I was a mess. I was a mess. What was it about that day for Hannah that made it different? I don't know. May I, I, I promise you she had prayed. She had prayed before. She had begged God before. She had asked for a child before. This is not the first time she's doing this. Something was different this day. I don't know. Maybe Penino was strategically planning this celebration, this feast, to be the moment when she announced that she was now pregnant with her sixth child. And Hannah's done. Hannah's desperate. Verses 10 and 11. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, Jehovah Sabaoth. That's the first time that this name is given to God in the Bible, by the way. It means all-powerful, sovereign king, God who can literally do anything. Here's me. Look on my sorrow. And if you will answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you, and he will be yours for his whole lifetime. As P. John mentioned, this story's a little weird. When two kids are playing, and they've got their little toy cars or whatever, or trading cards, and somebody wants something, you don't say, hey, I really like that. In fact, I like it so much that I am going to give it back to you if you give it to me. Like, that makes no sense, right? Hannah's a terrible bargainer. And you know why? This is not a deal that Hannah's making with God. This is not a bargain. That would have been, I'll go be a missionary for 20 years and I'll do in-gathering and I'll pay my double tithe. No, that's a bargain. This is not a bargain. Hannah's not making a deal with God. Hannah's done. Because as Hannah is kneeling there by the tabernacle door, She's got nothing left. There's nothing. God reaches down and whispers in her ear and says, Hannah, yes, wanting a son is a good thing. But it has consumed you. And you need to give that to me. So Hannah gets out her little paper bag. And she says, okay. 
son or no son, I'm yours. If I ever do have a son, he's yours. I let go of my obsession. Can you trust the father? Hannah decided to trust. Hannah decided to trust. I don't know what it was for Hannah that made that day different, but I know what it was for me. It was a Sabbath afternoon. And all of a sudden, the word divorce is just out there. And I can't make it go away, and I can't cover it up, and I can't ignore it, and I can't pretend it's not real and it's there. And this is not okay. This is not okay. Last August, my parents celebrated 44 years. Proud of you. My grandparents, on my dad's side, last June, celebrated 67 years. And next month, my grandparents, on my mom's side, are going to be celebrating 68 years of marriage. We thought it was amazing when they made it to 50, and that's almost been 20 years ago. This is where I come from. This is who I am. I am not a quitter. I don't give up. You work. You make it happen. God can work miracles. No, no, no. And all of a sudden, my whole world is just spinning out of control. And I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed because marriage is a good thing. In fact, it is one of very few things that God gave to humanity before sin even enters the world. It's okay that I want this. It's a good thing. But it's become, it's become my obsession. And I made my way up to my spare room that's full of junk and found my spot on the couch. And I promise you, I gave Hannah a run for her money that day, and I'm very glad that Priest Eli was not around watching. It was rough. It was rough, and God reached down to me very, very clearly. And he said, Elizabeth, you are sacrificing your children to save your marriage, and you're about to lose it all. Whew, that hit. And I knew he was right. So I got my paper bag. And I put my desire to have perfect children in that paper bag. And I realized as I did that that really this was never about my children at all. Really what this was was a desire for me to look like a perfect mom. And so I gave God that too. And then there's the marriage. Do I trust the father? Because things were bad. And what if I let go and it wasn't saved? But I had nothing left. And I let go. 
And I'm telling you, it felt like I was throwing myself off the side of a cliff and about to be free falling. And suddenly, as I handed that bag over to God, I was flying and I was safe. And I felt an excitement for the future that I had never felt before. And suddenly, all fear was gone. And it was the most amazing moment of my entire life. I put it in my calendar. October 9, I just celebrated it again last Monday. Yes, I decided that I, I would trust the Father. And I want to ask you, is there something good in your life that has unbeknownst to you? Because I promise you, at every single point in my life, I was fully committed to God. Fully surrendered, I thought. My intentions have always been to follow God. But is there something good that has crept up and become your obsession? Your desire to be a good employee, to be the best professional in your field. Those are good things. There's nothing wrong with that. To be the best parent, to give your children the best opportunities, sports, music, opportunities for a future, those are all good things. Your position, your status at work, in your family, in the church, your ministry here. These are all good things, and there's nothing wrong with them. But have any of those crept in and taken the highest place in your life? Verse 17 and 18, Eli sends Hannah off, and it says, She went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. I just love this part of the story. Hannah gets her baby. Isn't that so exciting? Turn your life over to God and all your dreams come true. Yes. 1 Samuel 7.17 says that once Samuel grew up, he became, he was a prophet, he was a judge, and he had a circle he would go to this town, and that town, and that town. And then it says that he would go back to his home in Ramah. I like to think they live next door to each other. I mean, they might have even lived in the same house. Hannah gets her Samuel back again. He's not gone forever. And this baby grows up to become the prophet who anoints King David who becomes the first king in a long line of kings that eventually culminate in King Jesus, who was more than just an earthly king, the Messiah, the hope of the whole world. When little Samuel is two, three, maybe four, and Hannah takes him to the temple, to the tabernacle, to let go, what should have been the most intense and hardest thing that Hannah has ever done in her life, sending this prayed-for baby into a not-so-great place, Hannah sings. Hannah sings. 
God gave her her song back. And you can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And it's a beautiful song. And years and years and years later, when that baby Jesus is going to be born to Mary, and Mary finds out, Mary sings. Do you know what song she sings? The theologians agree that Mary's song is patterned after and is echoes of Hannah's song. It's beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. Hannah can just trust, trust the Father. I felt it too. I got my song back. I won't be up here with the praise team. But I've always been a hummer, and I've always just had a song in my heart, and that had disappeared. My kids noticed. I didn't really say anything about my amazing moment in my spare room that day. My kids noticed. Wow, Mom, you're singing a lot lately. They noticed a lot of things. And I gave it a couple weeks to make sure it was real. You know, I didn't want just that emotional experience one day, and then we're back to normal. But it was real. It was so real. And after a couple weeks, I sat my children down. And I apologized for a lot of things. And I used words like toxic, maybe even evil. It was bad. My kids are so amazing. And they gave me the gift of forgiveness. They might have even said, eh, Mom, it really wasn't that bad. You're fine. 12, 18 months later, as we reflect back on those days, they're like, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad, and we're so thankful that it doesn't feel like that anymore. Don't get me wrong. We have to apologize to each other. But it is no longer sucking our souls dry. But let me ask you this. What if Hannah had walked away that day and didn't have a baby? What if you turn your job over to God and you don't get the promotion or the recognition or the credits? Or at church, in your ministry, you're not, you're not seen. What if your relationship with your children doesn't turn out the way that you want it to? What if the diagnosis isn't what you wanted to hear? What if your marriage isn't saved? Is God still good then? I thank God for clarity, for answered prayers. He's a God of free will and of choice of love and freedom and peace. And in less than three months, I knew the marriage wasn't saved. But I was. A few weeks after that, my children and I landed here at Rock Fellowship. And I want to thank you for being a safe place for us to heal, 
to grow, to just breathe, to find our song. Maybe a month after I was coming, I heard the song, Goodness of God, for the first time. I don't know how I missed it before that. And it's taken me about a year to be able to just sing the whole thing through without crying. Because the answer is yes. You can trust the Father. Surrender. Surrender to him. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. And with every breath that I am able, I will sing and I will tell and I will share of the goodness of God. And I want to invite you. Not right now, because we don't need any Eli's watching us. But if you have felt that there's something missing, even though you've made sure that everything in your life is good, and maybe you have it, maybe there's some bad things too, so yes. But for most of us that come to church every week, we try. We try to make sure that our life is good and we have good things. And yet still, somehow, when we go to read, it's just words on a page. And when we go to pray, it's bouncing off the ceiling. If you would like to commit to taking some extra time this week and ask God, because it doesn't have to come to the bottom of the barrel before we go there. It doesn't have to. To reveal to you if there's something good in your life that you have allowed to become an obsession and take highest place, then I invite you to stand with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to dedicate our lives to you again, or for the first time, in a brand new way. Lord, I pray for your eyes to see ourselves and our true motives. Help us, Lord, to ask the right questions of ourselves. And Lord, give us that clarity that indeed we can trust you. You do want what is good for us. So Lord, with our lives laid down, we surrender now. And may we give you everything. And may we know and feel that yes, your goodness is running. It is running after us. Sing this prayer with me, church.